0: This is Science Friday. I'm Ira Flato. Sitting in with me is producer Kathleen Davis.
1: Welcome back, Kathleen. Nice to be here. Later in the hour, talking about alien life. Are they out there? Mm. What shapes are search for alien life? And how would we know if we found it? Ooh. We'll talk to Dr. Adam Frank, author of The Little Book of Aliens.
0: But first, space fans have got some, well, sort of bad news. NASA's Crewed Artemis missions to the moon are delayed again. If you've been following this program since it was around in 2012, this may not come as a shock, but they do highlight the key challenges NASA is facing in moving the program forward. Here to tell us more about this and other top stories in science this week is Casey Crownhart, climate reporter at the MIT Technology Review. She's based here in New York and actually in our New York studios. Nice to see you. Nice to see you guys, too. Nice to have you. Okay, so some disappointing news for space fans. NASA's crewed Artemis mission got delayed again. Tell us about that.
1: Like you said, not too, too much of a surprise at this point, but the next two Artemis missions have officially been pushed back by NASA. Um, The plan was to launch Artemis 2 this November. That's been pushed back about a year. Um, Artemis 2 was the first one that was going to have people on board. It was going to have four astronauts, and they were going to kind of swing by the moon and come back. Um, And then Artemis 3 as well, that's the one where we're going to launch two astronauts Mm. to land on the moon, has been delayed from 2025 to 2026. And
0: the problem, what was the problem this time?
1: A few different things. One of them was kind of a safety issue. They kind of found some issues with landing Artemis One back on Earth. The heat details, shield. details yeah. yes. <laughs> you know, safety. Yeah. Um, but then also like things like developing the spacesuits and the lunar landers. Um, that's being done by private industry, and NASA says they need a little bit more time for that yeah, kind of stuff.
0: We like we like safety. Speaking of uh, challenges and delays, Massachusetts recently powered on its first large offshore wind farm, but. There's good news and bad news about that, right?
1: Yes. This is something I've been digging into for the last month or so, and it's definitely a mixed bag of news on offshore wind. Um, These turbines could be a really good thing for clean energy goals because they can harness these powerful, consistent winds that blow off the coast. Like you said, the Massachusetts project just um, started producing electricity. But we also saw in the fall New Jersey had two major projects get canceled, and there's been some recent trouble for a couple of projects in New York. Um, So offshore wind is, you know, slowly chugging along, but we're seeing some delays for sure.
0: There's got to be some good news, though, right?
1: I I think that one turbine turning on in Massachusetts (laughs) is like the single shining beacon of hope for U.S. offshore wind right now. Eventually, that project is going to be huge. It's going to power 400,000 homes. So. It'll take a while to get there, but it's got to yeah. right? <laughs> be the somebody's first one. Yeah, somebody's got to be somebody's got
0: to be the first one. Meanwhile, on the other side of the planet, there's good news about green energy. And I'm talking about Hawaii powering down its last coal plant. Right.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this actually they powered down the last coal plant in Hawaii in late 2022. But we got some great news in December where they have kind of officially replaced that coal plant with a huge battery installation. So they're able to kind of store all of the solar that's coming on the grid in Hawaii in these massive batteries to to kind of power the grid there.
0: And this is sort of a trend now right? these The batteries, these mega, mega packs of batteries.
1: Absolutely. We're seeing grid storage become more and more important in places that have a high percentage of renewables on the grid. California has a bunch of installations. Mm. About 7% of their grid's capacity can be stored in in batteries. So yeah. that's really exciting. And
0: if we're going to go to an electrical system running the country, we need this grid back, battery backup stuff.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, speaking of getting uh, the materials needed for those batteries, rare earth elements, I understand that Norway is moving towards deep sea mining. That's very controversial, isn't that?
1: It's very controversial. So like you said, Norway's parliament just voted to authorize kind of mining exploration in that country's waters. Um, A couple of other countries have done this as well. Japan, New Zealand, there's also kind of movement to start mining in international waters, potentially. it's because there is kind of a lot of metals down there, lithium, nickel, all of these things that are needed for batteries and other clean energy technologies. But environmentalists are a little bit concerned because there's a ton of life down there and we don't really understand it very well at all.
0: Yeah, it's because you're going to dig up basically the ocean floor.
1: And you kick up these dust plumes that we don't really understand exactly how far they'll go. Um, And I think the other concern too is that We know what batteries are made of right now, but a lot of people say, you know, battery tech is really changing. Why are we going to go and get all this stuff if maybe we won't even need it for the next generation of batteries? It's really hard to say.
0: How far has it moved along in Norway? Does it need uh, parliamentary procedures and things like that?
1: This really just opens up exploration. They're not going to go down and start, you know, commercially mining anytime soon. They really don't even know what's down there in the Norwegian Sea. Um, There's some sense that there are certain metals down there, but there's a lot of you've got to get through all that exploration first and then we'll have to see more action for parliament before actual mining. Not going to
0: happen tomorrow or the next day.
1: We're not too worried about it. I would say this year.
0: Oh, that's good. That's good. And and as we know, those uh, lithium based batteries are not always the safest, but we have some news that scientists are using artificial intelligence. They're using it for everything Mm -hmm. and to develop batteries with less lithium now.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, AI for everything. so researchers from Microsoft and the Pacific Northwest National Lab announced that they had used AI to develop a new kind of battery material that uses a lot less lithium, um, kind of just a prototype. So I wouldn't get like too excited about this replacing all of our batteries anytime soon. But it is really, really cool to see what AI can do.
0: Yeah, because uh, what what how would you use AI in this situation? What would it do?
1: Yeah. So basically what you do is you feed in a ton of information about known batteries and known battery materials and all their properties. You say, this battery is really, you know, this material is really conductive. This one's really stable. And then it would kind of invent a bunch of different potential combinations and go through all of the known materials and say, hey, have you tried, you know, this, 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 this and spit out a list. And then researchers can take those candidates and try to make them into actual materials. So you could
0: have tens of millions of possible things to yes. plow through.
1: So these researchers said that they looked at 32 million possible battery materials wow. in just a few days. So it's it's really, really speedy. And that's what they say. It's going to speed up the exploration a lot.
0: I'm, I'm trying to think of people themselves going through paperwork. <laughs> 32 million. <laughs> no, it would poss- take way
1: longer. Yeah.
0: It would take, take years, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And, and continuing with this AI theme uh, that tech is also, AI is also, also moving into weather forecasting.
1: Yes, so, yeah.
0: Can it do it better than we're doing it now, I imagine?
1: It It can do pretty well in a lot of cases, I think, is kind of the takeaway here. So researchers from Google DeepMind published a paper showing that their weather model was able to perform on par or better than major forecasting models about 90 percent of the time. So it's doing a really good job a lot of the time, but it kind of starts to fail at these kind of edge cases or really rare events it's not as good at predicting stuff like that
0: mm-hmm. could they match it up and you know some event that's happening now and say well we did as well as ai did is it,
1: yeah know? so that's how they're doing this research is they're able to kind of look back at you know old weather patterns and see what happened but um i think a lot of people are seeing this more as a tool in their toolkit and, and not really worried about their jobs anytime soon um, just because it's like i said really not able to kind of predict these rare events like Think like big hurricanes that right. weren't expected. That's where it yeah, really and we're going to need that now, right? yeah. Because climate is
0: changing. Look at look at the weather going on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to be in in the forty below zero this uh, weekend for the uh, caucuses coming up. Yeah. We need to know what's going to be happening.
1: Absolutely, and climate change just makes weather weirder, basically. So,
0: and we need we actually, I imagine, we need big computers, right? We would need very strong computers to be able to take all those different mounds of data that comes in and analyze it.
1: Mm -hmm. I mean, AI works a little bit differently. So actually, this is one way to get around limitations on computing, but we are seeing really massive exascale computers start to make their way into a lot of different applications. Um, and so that's another kind of really interesting area of weather forecasting that we're seeing.
0: I want to see them replace the weather person on the news. It's, <laughs> With, it's not a person, right? It's just like a
1: robot? Just like
0: a robot doing AI weather forecast. <laughs> because then we always blame the weather person. Are you going to blame mm. the robot now?
1: Yeah. I, I love a local weather person, though. Yeah. I don't know. In, in Alabama, there's something of a... Celebrity, so I'm not ready to get rid of the weather. People.
0: Well, not only that, they're usually the only science person on the whole staff, mm-hmm. right? If yeah. you want to, if you want to run a science story on a local newscast, you, you, it's going to be on a, the weather. It's going to be in the weather. They pick up the you know stuff that's going on in space. They talk about the the weather, the rain, and and any other kinds of things go to the weather man. weather Absolutely. person. Excuse me. Let's <laughs> finally let's talk about. I can't believe I'm going to say this. It's an extinct, ten foot tall giant ape. That it's almost a ton. Tell me about this.
1: Yes. Yeah, so researchers have found out a little bit more about the largest primate to ever roam the Earth. Um, so, like you said, they were, you know, around three meters or ten feet tall, just massive creatures. It's kind of hard to wrap your brain around. And we didn't really understand why these creatures went extinct. You know, we saw a lot of bigger animals that used to roam around. Aren't here anymore. And so researchers really wanted to figure out what happened to these guys. And so they went into a bunch of caves and looked at a bunch of teeth samples that they have.
0: Teeth samples.
1: They haven't found basically any bones of this giant ape, but they have a bunch of teeth that they've found. And
0: And they know it comes from a giant ape.
1: They know that it comes from a giant ape. Um, How big?
0: How big? uh, Did they give this ape a, a name? Has it got a name we've given?
1: Gigantopithecus. I don't know if I'm saying that exactly right, but it's pretty, pretty perfect, isn't Pithecus
0: it? Pithecus is like ape, I think, in Latin. Mm-hmm. So it's a giant ape.
1: Giant ape, yep. And so researchers, looking at these teeth and looking at kind of other stuff that was around where they found these teeth, um, they were able to put their the extinction date for these apes at about mm, between 295,000, 215,000 years ago. Wow. And that's a lot more recent than we had thought these guys went extinct. And so... The, crucially, that it was during a time when the planet was changing a lot. And so this really clued them in to why these creatures might have gone extinct, because they weren't able to adapt to this kind of changing world that they were living in.
0: And it shows you how an animal that big and probably that ferocious can actually go extinct.
1: Absolutely. They weren't able to find the food that they needed as kind of their habitat was changing from really like kind of covered forests to grasslands. And so they kind of, you know, eventually died out. Even while kind of their relatives, so the ancient relatives of the orangutan were hanging around and and were able to adapt to this. These giant apes were not.
0: Casey, you always bring us (laughs) such fun and interesting stories and stuff that people will talk about tonight when they're, you know, with wherever they're meeting to meet folks for dinner tonight. So thank you for taking time to be with us today.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Casey Crownhart, climber reporter at MIT Technology Review based here in New York.